0: Good morning, Fellowship Bible Church. Thank you for joining us for the last worship service of 2021 as we worship together online and in our own homes. Again, we're, we're gathering in this way because of the number of COVID cases within our church family, including a few members of our staff, myself included. Um, please continue to pray for the sick. I myself am feeling much better, and I know several others are already on the mend but continue to pray, continue to pray for those within our own body, for for those in our community, for healthcare workers, and for the crisis in general, that God would continue to bring us through this crisis and that God would be faithful. You know, we faced a series of crisis as our church family in the last really month, especially, but certainly over the last two years since the beginning of COVID. And, and 2021 has been a difficult year, but this last month, think about it. A few weeks ago, we were dealing with in, with the aftermath of a fire that took place within our own sanctuary that, that moved us out of the sanctuary for a number of months. Uh, we're still not back there. And then because we're not back there, we had worship in the youth room. And the youth room, people responded so well to the worship setting in the youth room and loved it. But then we had several COVID cases spring up. The other thing you, you don't know is we actually had a major heating issue in the gymnasium uh, that was right smack dab between those two crises. So really, the church has dealt with three big crises in just the course of a month. And it's just a reminder. The enemy does not want us to gather together in worship. The enemy does not want us to be united and unified in our mission and vision of making disciples in all nations for the glory of God and investing in our community, inspiring others to follow Jesus. And so that's why all that much more in 2022, we're committed to that vision to glorify God by making disciples in all nations, starting in Dalton in Whitfield County and continuing through our mission partners all over the world. We are investing in the nations right now. We have a team of four that is inclusion of POCA Romania for the sake of the gospel includes Romania, sharing with other pastors from from many different churches and multiple denominations about the opportunity to evangelize through Saturate and the Jesus Film Project. And so as we pray and open our time in the word this morning, I'm going to pray for them, for Tom, Sally, Raymond, and Janice, as they minister on our behalf there to encourage pastors and pastor's wives to, to speak to young people and to bring about a gospel movement within that nation. So let's pray. Father, I thank you for the opportunity we have to gather in multiple different ways. And Father, though we wish that we were all in our building together right now, we acknowledge that you have uh, given us a blessing of using technology and being able to gather in the comfort of our own homes, to still engage in the word together, to still sing together, So, Father, I pray that the blessing of uh, your spirit would be poured out on each of us in our individual homes as we sing, as we pray, as we open the word. And, Father, I pray that you would heal the sick, those with COVID in our family. We pray for your healing over them. Those with various other health needs. We know there are other sick within our midst. We pray your healing and protection over them, Father. May you be with them in the midst of their illness and in the midst of their pain. And Father for for the parries and the hobbies who are in Romania right now. We pray your blessing over them. We pray that you would open doors of ministry and of the gospel within those various churches in Romania. We pray that this initiative next year of saturate Romania would be a huge blessing and that you would be bring many people into your family through their efforts. And we pray that you would return them home safely that COVID would not be uh, a, a, an obstacle for them, but that you would bring through the circumstances, bring them home safely. And Father, as we open the word together this morning, as we worship in our own homes, we ask that you would speak to us now. Speak to us that we might count the cost and we might see that the cost is worth it, Father. In the name of Christ Jesus, our Messiah, we pray. Amen. Well, for the last sermon of 2021, we're we're returning to the Book of Luke. So you can go ahead and, and grab a Bible and um, turn to the end of of chapter 14 of the Book of Luke, 14:25 and following. Kent Hughes is a retired pastor in Chicago who I, who I've loved and respected for years, and he tells a story about this passage that we're dealing with uh, about an expedition to the Arctic. And it is known as the Franklin Expedition, which is the name of the man that led the expedition. It took, they left England in 1845 and they had a plan. But boy, was it not a good plan. You see, the Franklin Expedition was full of military officers and, and noblemen, and they were going to explore the Arctic and find passageway through the Arctic. But as they went, they took, they took a large boat. They took um, lots of supplies. They took coal for, for burning in case they needed it, but you know, they only took 12 days worth of coal for a journey that they knew would last many months. But why did not they not take more coal? Why did they not take more provisions? Well, because these were noblemen, and so they took modern-day luxuries with them. Uh, they actually took table silver Yeah, you know, that nice stuff that your grandmother only pulls out on on Christmas Day or Thanksgiving. They took table silver utensils. They took fine china so that the officers could have fine dinners. They took all of the the, um, components they would need to prepare these fine dinners for the officers, which the rest of the crew didn't get, mind you. But they filled up the boat with modern luxuries that were not necessities for the journey. And in so doing, they deprioritized things like coal or, or provisions for for uh, the rest of the crew, or even warm clothing, as they were wearing their regular officers' uniforms most of the time. And then, eventually, the boat just disappeared, and nobody knew what happened to them. They didn't return home. They sent parties searching after them, and then Inuit peoples of the Arctic over the course of the next thirty years. Between Inuit peoples and, and other explorers, they found the scattered remains of of the main boat, of lifeboats, of uh, traces of these men spread across a wide, wide area because they had not properly prepared for the journey that was in front of them. So now here we are, the last Sunday of 2021, looking, I I pray, with hope and expectation at the year ahead. You know, remember when 2021 started, we thought, boy, 2020, that was awful. 2021, it's going to be better, right? Let's be hopeful for 2021. And now maybe you're thinking at 2022, well, 2020 was bad. 2021 wasn't much better. So is there any hope left for 2022? I pray that God would give you hope this season. That God would give you hope that that he is on the move, that he is working even when circumstances are hard and challenging. And as he is working, he is asking us to keep following. And as he asks us to keep following, he asks us to count the cost. And that is what Franklin and the rest of his team did not do in 1845 as they journeyed for the Arctic. But that's what Jesus is calling us to do in Luke 14, verse 25 and following. So I'd invite you to read that with me. And we'll look at three keys to understanding this passage. Three key points that Jesus is making for us today. It will be really simple. Following Jesus is costly. The cost must be counted, must be weighed. And finally, the cost is worth it. That's what matters the most today. So Luke 14, verse 25 through 35. Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and said to to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish or what king going out to encounter another king in war will not first sit down and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet who comes against him with 20,000. And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Salt is good. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is of no use, either for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown away. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Following Jesus is costly. That's what Jesus is telling us here. And the first cost that he gives us is hard. And it's a little bit confusing because there is Relational cost here. That's the first thing that Jesus acknowledges. And why is he doing this? Okay, go back to before Thanksgiving. Jason delivered the last message of our Luke series, and then we had a break for Thanksgiving and our Advent season. But in that message, Jason talked about the dinner parables from Luke chapter 14. And we pick up in verse 25 right after the dinner parables, where Jesus is talking about who is and is not included in his eternal kingdom. And here in verse 25, he says, if you want to be included in that kingdom, then you need to follow. And just so you know, following is going to require some cost of you. And that's the point that Jesus is making in this passage. So here's what he says. There is cost to following me. And the cost, believe it or not, is hating your family. That's what Jesus says. Now, that is where we have to understand this rightly, because I don't hate my family. I don't hate my wife. I don't hate my children. I don't hate my my parents, my brother and sister. I, I don't hate any of them, but I love Jesus. So what exactly is Jesus communicating here? This is where critics of the Bible can have a heyday, and they say, well, you know, you say Jesus is all about love, but look at this. He's telling you to hate your own family, but we have to understand what Jesus is and is not communicating to his followers here. He says things in bold, paradoxical ways so that he can get our attention, so that he can get the attention of his first hearers, but also so that he can get our attention 2,000 years later. When Jesus says literally in verse 26, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own mother and father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. What does he mean there? What he means is that following Jesus requires, first and foremost, we sacrifice all, all other relationships behind Jesus. To hate father, mother, husband, wife, sister, brother, children means to love them less than Jesus. That's what Jesus is communicating here. Jesus also says elsewhere that we are to love God, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. So Jesus is not being inconsistent by at one place telling us that we should love everyone, love our neighbors, and at, and at another place telling us that we should hate our own family. Shouldn't our family be included within the love of neighbors? Certainly. Jesus's point is you cannot love your family first. And that's hard. And don't pretend that it's not hard. I don't know what your family is like, but my family is awesome. Jess, she's amazing. And I love her a lot. And Eden, Jericho, and Karis, I would do anything for them. And the call of Jesus is so difficult and so costly. Because what Jesus is calling me to in this passage is to love Jess less. To love Eden less. Jericho, less! Karis less! Than him. First and foremost, I am called to love him. And if that call of loving him and following him means I'm going to lose relationship with any of them, Jess, Eden, Jericho, Karis, Jesus is calling me to love him so dearly, to be so fully devoted to him, that I'm willing to forsake those relationships for the sake of him. Now boy, does that sound difficult. I'm grateful that I've never been faced with that challenge, never been faced with that cost. But many believers in Christ have. Many people have been faced with this challenge of, do I love Jesus enough to risk being abandoned by my own family? To risk being hated by my own family? And certainly Jesus, uh, in Jesus's day, his first followers dealt with this. But, but many followers today still deal with this all around the world. And and in our country, too. It requires great cost for some to follow Jesus. And for some, it means they lose their families along the way. And so that's the first cost that we count. Are you willing to lose relationships for Jesus? Are you willing to lose your family for the sake of Jesus? Are you willing to lose your friends for Jesus? But then he actually goes farther. The first cost of following Jesus is, Relationships. The second cost of following Jesus is the love of ourself. He doesn't just say you've got to be ready to hate father, mother, sister, w- husband, wife, all of that. He also says, be willing, be ready and willing to hate yourself, even his own life. Now, what does that mean? That means that my first priority as a follower of Jesus is His kingdom not my kingdom. And you say, "Wait, wait, wait, Tim, you're a pastor. Since when did you have a kingdom?" "Oh, I've got a kingdom in my own heart and mind, and and it exists it exists in a very real way. Because you know what I want? I want the protection of my kingdom. I want my rule and reign over my stuff, over my home, over my family, over my influence. I want to be king." And you know what? If we're all honest, with ourselves in our hearts and minds we all have a little bit of that desire to be king we all have that ingrained within us a desire to reign and rule and you know what that's actually part of what it means to be created in the image of god because we were re- we were created actually believe it or not we were created to be a part of the royal ruling class of god's eternal kingdom that's what it means To be created in the image of God and to be sons and daughters of the king. We were created to rule. But in our sinfulness, in our fallenness, we want to rule and reign over our own tiny little kingdoms. Kingdoms of our control. Kingdoms of our own building. That's why we like to have our own homes, have our own land, have our own property. Do with it what we can. So that we can protect our stuff. Protect our kingdom. Protect our own health. Protect our own lives. And Jesus is saying, you've got to be willing to give up your own life. Give up your own stuff. Give up your own influence. Give up your own reputation for following me. My kingdom first, Jesus says. You have to be willing to lose your own life. So there's a relational cost here. First, you've got to be willing to sacrifice your relationships with those you love the most. Second, you've got to be willing to let yourself Be second behind the kingdom of Christ. Third, take up your cross. Verse 27, physical suffering now comes in. Verse 27 says, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Now we think of a cross as just like the Christian logo. That's what the cross means in the 21st century. It's the logo of Jesus. And we don't think of it as it actually was a torture device. And so this is like Jesus saying, take up your electric chair. Take up your electric chair and follow me. Take up your gallows. String a noose around your neck and follow me. That's what Jesus is saying here. This is a device for torture and execution. And he's saying, carry it with you. Be ready to die and suffer for me. That's an extreme statement. Can you imagine if somebody showed up in 2021 and says, hey, if you want to follow me, it's going to be great, but you better bring an electric chair because you're probably going to use it. It's a crazy thing that Jesus is saying here, but it's real and it's true and it's what it means to follow him in his kingdom. It means to be always ready for sacrifice. That's the cost of following Jesus. And then actually at the end of this passage, uh, for further down, he says in verse 33. So therefore, any of you that does not renounce all that he has cannot, cannot be my disciple. All of it, he says, give it all up for the sake of me. Now, this is the point he makes, that there is great cost. And he illustrates this point by saying, you've got to count the cost. And he gives us two illustrations, one of a tower and one of a king. One illustration, the illustrations sound pretty much the same, but the first illustration shows us that it's foolish to not count the cost. The second illustration shows us it's beyond foolish. It's actually dangerous to not count the cost. So for the tower, verse 28, which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough money to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him saying, the man began to build and was not able to finish. So the worst case scenario of this first illustration is mocking. And, and and that's not that bad compared to what the king is going to experience in the next illustration. But it's a good point that, that, that helps us to understand what Jesus is getting at here. He is saying, do not follow me lightly. He's telling those people that want to follow him there in the first century as he's living his life there, you need to count the cost. You need to prepare for the suffering. You need to think about what you are going to lose if you're really going to do this, if you're really going to follow me. And so we need to think about that too. What relationships might you lose if you really took your relationship with Christ seriously? And you might think, well, you know, I am a Christian and I, you know, my coworkers are fine with it, but, but what if there is an ethical dilemma where you're the one that has to stand for the truth are are you willing to do that what if there's something financial what if there's some sort of practice within your business or even within your personal life that you know is unethical that you know is maybe uh, permissible by the by the law through a loophole but is not really the right thing to do what happens there are are you the one that's going to stand up and say no 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 because i follow the eternal god of the universe who set into motion the planets and and defined what right and wrong is, I'm going to stand for the truth and stand for what is right. See, followers of Jesus are those that are most willing, that are always willing to stand up for what is right, even when it hurts, even when it goes against the party line, even when it goes against the family, even when it goes against those that we love. So are you ready? Are you willing to stand up for what is right, no matter the cost? Are you willing to stand up for Jesus, no matter the cost? That's what he's asking you. But but he's saying, you better count the cost. Don't, don't follow me lightly. Don't follow me if you're not ready. And, and trust me, Jesus, be, be careful about the way you interpret this. Jesus is not saying, I don't want people to follow me. He's saying, I don't want people to follow me blindly. Jesus doesn't want half-hearted Christians. Jesus wants real Born again Christians, indwelt by the Spirit, regenerated by the power of the Spirit, those that are in newness of life. And and sometimes I think the church is weak because we have those people that are half-hearted. And I'm not saying this about Fellowship Bible Church. I'm not accusing anyone on this video. I'm saying this about the church globally. We we should recognize we have an issue as Christians, and we should be examining ourselves. I, I need to examine myself. Am I a half-hearted Christian or am I really all in? Have I really counted the cost? Am I really ready to sacrifice? Am I really ready to suffer? Because as the world gets dark, the light of Christ is all that much more noticeable. Are you ready to be the bright light, even when it hurts, even when it involves sacrifice? Jesus goes on to tell another illustration. See, the worst case scenario for the guy that builds the tower and doesn't count the cost is, well, he gets ridiculed. He gets made fun of. And, and and before I get to the second one, I want to say that the cost is not just financial. It's also great time. It takes time to build a tower. And, and so here's here's a couple things. There's a, there's a financial aspect and there's a time and effort aspect of it. Uh, this is not necessarily just telling us we need to, uh, it's not a, a direct comparison between how we spend our money and how this guy is spending our money. But one of the ways, and we have to realize this, there is no way around this in the sayings and teachings of Jesus. The way we do spend our money says a lot about how committed we are in following Jesus. And we worry about whether or not we're supposed to tithe 10%. Let me tell you something. You should Give 10% to the kingdom of God and you should give more. Why? Because it's all his. You should give until it hurts. You should give your time. You should give your money. You should give your heart. You should give your soul to the cause of Christ because the needs are urgent. And if that makes you uncomfortable, if if talking about the money aspect of this makes you uncomfortable, then, then unfortunately, there may actually be a heart issue. Because talking about money cuts very quickly to the heart, and that's why Jesus likes doing it. And so I, I don't I don't want your money. But Jesus is telling you that if you are not giving your money to the kingdom of God, to his church, then you really need to consider where your heart is and where your devotion is. But it's not just time and play here, it's also effort. It's also the the time and 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 practice you put in. You see, living a life with Jesus involves concerted effort to get up and go to read your scriptures, to spend time in prayer, to devote yourself to the ministry of the gospel, the ministry of the local church and service to the community. That's what following Christ is all about. And if you want to grow in Christ, you've really got to put in the time. You know, Eden has excelled tremendously this year as a piano player. Why? Because she's worked at it. She tried to pick up piano a couple years ago, and she just wasn't into it at that stage. Now, she loved it. But, you know, something happened. Something happened this fall that really just lit a fire in her. In August, we had an exceptional seasoned piano player that literally moved into our house. And when Emmanuel came into our house, all of a sudden, Eden saw it. She saw the picture. She saw what all the time and effort of practicing and playing piano, she saw what the end product could be. And because she wanted to be like Emmanuel, she put in the work. And and over the last four months, she has excelled because she's putting in the work. And so here's what following Jesus means. It means counting the cost, catching a vision, and putting in the work. It means looking at those who are mature in Christ, who are really following, who are thriving in their relationships with Jesus and getting close to those people, seeing the end goal and saying, what does it take? What does it take? I want to follow you as you follow Jesus. That's what Paul said. Paul said, follow me as I follow Jesus. We all, as believers in Jesus, part of counting the cost means we need to find those who are following Jesus and follow them and see what we can learn from them in their pursuit of righteousness and the grace of God and, and pursuit of holiness. And so that's, a, that's a, one of these clear challenges from this passage. But Jesus goes on to do another illustration of the king. And this is the dangerous one. Verse 31. What king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000. If not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. What happens if a guy doesn't have enough money to finish the tower? He gets laughed at. What happens if a king doesn't have enough troops to fight a battle? He gets destroyed. Those troops lose their lives. Maybe the king loses his life. Maybe the king loses his very kingdom. Here Jesus is saying that there's real spiritual danger in not counting the cost, And in saying, yes, I'm going to follow Jesus, but not following through with it and falling away in the end. And so Jesus is warning us here. There is great danger to starting out with Jesus and then falling away and turning away. Again, Jesus doesn't want anyone to fall away. Jesus doesn't want anyone to turn back, but he knows that some will. So he warns us on the front end, do not take this decision lightly. So whether you are, are watching this, having followed Christ for 50 years or for five days, count the cost, count it again, look back and say, well, where am I now versus where I was when I first heard about Jesus? Am I growing? And if not, how can I grow? How do I need to get back on track? What cost did I not properly count? How do I need to pursue Jesus more fully? And as I just said, part of that is finding the vision of looking at somebody else that is a guidepost, that, that is a, an example of what it means to really follow Jesus in maturity. Jesus, Jesus is our pattern. Make no mistake of that. No pastor, no older saint is our, is our pattern. Jesus is. But sometimes it is great help. Just like Emmanuel was a guide for Eden and piano, sometimes it's a great help. For us to have guides as older saints who we can look up to as spiritual mentors and follow them as they follow Jesus. So we count the cost because there is great risk in not counting the cost. But I want you to know that the cost is ultimately worth it. I want us to turn now to 2 Corinthians um, chapter 4, verse 7. You know, this passage is interesting in Luke because it then moves on from the two parables of counting the cost. He moves on to say something very clear. Salt is good. I, I can easily agree. Thank you, Jesus. Salt is good. I love me some salt. But then he says, if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's a rhetorical question. You can't restore saltiness to salt that has no taste. It is of no use either for the soil or for the manure pile. It's thrown away. Jesus is saying, we as Christians, as followers of him, need to be distinct. We need to be flavorful. We need to be bold. You need to be, when you take a potato, let's, you grab a bag of French fries, right? They have no salt on them. You know. But when you throw some salt on them, you know that too. And so our culture, our society needs to know when Christians are there and when Christians are not there. They need to see, they need to taste, they need to feel, they need to hear our presence. Because we're weird! We're distinct! Be weird for Jesus! That's like your new 2022 slogan. Be weird for Jesus! because that's what the illustration of salt is all about. It's about distinctiveness. It's about sticking out. It's about being noticed. And you know, it's okay if we're weird and if we're mocked and if we're noticed because Jesus has endured so much more suffering, so much more mocking, so much more humiliating circumstances, so much more physical pain, so much more has Jesus endured on our behalf. Don't miss this. When Jesus is telling you take up your cross, he's not asking you to do something he hasn't done. When Jesus is telling you to endure the loss of family and relationship, he's not asking you to do something he hasn't done. When Jesus is telling you to endure great pain, great suffering, great mocking, whatever, he's asking you to do something he has already modeled. And he's made provisions for you in the midst of the suffering. That's why we're going to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We have this treasure in jars of clay, 2 Corinthians 4, seven, to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Paul is talking about his personal suffering. The us in verse 12 is, is Paul and those who are with him, his, his fellow travelers. And he is saying that their suffering, their endurance, is for the sake of the church of Corinth to be able to receive life. But look at how Paul is describing the suffering. He says, we are afflicted in every way, but we're not crushed. We are perplexed, but we're not despairing. We are persecuted, but we are not forsaken. We are struck down, but we are not destroyed. I don't know what 2021 has done to you. Maybe it's pushed you. Maybe it's struck you down. Maybe you've been afflicted this year. But what Paul is telling us through the power of the Holy Spirit, what I believe God is saying to each one of you and to me this morning, is no matter the affliction, we are not forsaken. No matter the persecution, we are not going to be crushed. No matter how difficult it gets, we need not despair. Because while it seems like death reigns in this life and in this world, what really reigns in the life and heart of the believer is the life of Jesus. And that's why it's worth it. Not because Jesus promises that if you follow him, you won't suffer, but actually because Jesus promises that whether or not you follow him, you will suffer. But suffering with Jesus has a purpose, has a provision, and has an end. Suffering without Jesus, well, that end is far, far worse suffering than anything we might experience in this life. And so as you count the cost, count the cost of what it would look like to follow Jesus in the year 2022 count the cost of what it would look like to re-up with Jesus and to commit to him in more, with more energy and in a fuller commitment for this new year. I pray that you would really count the cost. And I pray that you would look at the circumstances all around you and say, you know what? I've been struck down, but I'm not destroyed. I've been afflicted, but I have not been crushed. I've been perplexed, but I'm not despairing. Guys, I'd be, I got to be honest. So much of this is, is true of me this year. When I tested positive for COVID, before I tested positive for COVID, guys, when I woke up at four o'clock in the morning and I felt terrible, I knew something was off. And mind you, this is only a few weeks after this whole fire episode that, that felt like it was about to crush me. It was only a couple weeks after recognizing that we had a heat issue in the one building that we were able to use that, that kind of pushed down on me a little bit more. And I just thought, God, what are you doing? What are you doing in this church? And I remembered that our wrestle, our battle isn't against flesh and blood, but against spiritual, against spiritual powers of wickedness and darkness in this present age. And I remembered that we have a real enemy. And he's the one afflicting us. He's the one that is trying to crush us, but he can't. He's the one perplexing us. And God is by his spirit, ensuring that we will not despair. And so I share this with you to say, at Fellowship Bible Church, we have counted the cost. And in 2022, you know, we enter our 50th year. Our 50th anniversary at Fellowship Bible Church is 2022. And what an incredible gift of God. And I wonder what those that were a part of the founding of the church were thinking back then, 50 years ago, what they thought this church would be like, what they thought the influence would be over the last 50 years. But God has been so good. God has been so grateful. And I'd encourage you this year to look back over your many years of following Jesus. Think about how long it's been. Think about how far you've come. Think about what he's brought you through. Think about the times when you were afflicted. And think about the times that God did not allow you to be crushed. Think about the times you were perplexed and how God kept you from despair. Think about the times that you were persecuted and God did not forsake you. About the times you were struck down and God did not allow you to be destroyed. May we walk into 2022 as a body full of energy and hope in the beauty of what Jesus is doing for new life. For all who believe we want to see revival and we want to see it this year and I believe we can if we as a people commit to revival that starts within us and then spreads from our own households into our own church into our community and can really light up the world for Christ so may that be our prayer new light new life in this new
1: for such a time as this, I know you have right where you placed wisdom so in- God, you have carried me through every trial, through every fight, so here is my Baby mm-hmm.
0: Father, we pray that we would be a people of light and a people of life that we would truly count the cost and follow you in fullness recognizing that it means sacrifices relationally financially sacrifices in our time in our resources sacrifices physically father we pray that we would be a people wholly devoted to you and if there's anyone watching this video this morning that has not received new life in you, Father, I pray by your spirit, you would bring that new life right now. Bring the light of life and salvation to a new heart, Father. Because we love you and we want to see others come to love you. We want to be a light so that others can see the joy of what it means to follow you. And Father, this life with you is full of joy. And we praise you for that. We thank you for the joy we have in you. Cause new life to be born again this morning. And Father, show us what it means to follow you in this new year ahead. May we receive every bit of your presence that you have intended for us. May we be faithful to live out a life of obedience to you. In Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now if you would, receive the blessing of the Lord from number six. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. Go in peace.